All right, formation 2020. Here we go. Go Bucks, right? Let's get ready here. Lather up. That's really watery. And just got on my notes. Okay, here we go. I'm gonna start with this. You ready? So growing up, uh, baseball was kind of my sport. I started young, kindergarten, with t-ball. And if you remember t-ball, the whole point was to put your best athlete at pitcher and then hope that you make less mistakes than the other team. But I do remember practices in t-ball where you learn how to throw. And you know, did the drills where you like put your hand in the fence and like keep your elbow up, throw the ball. And I'm, I distinctly remember the thrill that it was when you, when I would throw a ball and it would be caught by my friend. It was like the biggest deal. Successful throw and catch. Accomplishing it. Uh, first grade was first year of coach pitch. We started actually hit balls in the outfield. Another large milestone. And in second grade, we played kid pitch, which in hindsight was like way too early. Because if you like, think about it, just two years before we were learning how to throw the ball. So now somehow it was a good idea to put an eight-year-old on the mound and ask him to throw a ball a hundred times in this minuscule strike zone. And then another kid to hit it, right? Who were, most of the kids are probably still afraid of the ball. It didn't work very well. Now for you baseball savants out there wondering like, I wonder what the ERA is of an eight-year-old who can't throw strikes. Well, I think our ace carried something around 40, which was pretty good for the league. And if you think about it, probably none of those runs were earned because all the errors, so maybe it was closer to zero. But anyways, um, my coach at the time, his name was uh, Mr. Jones, right? Not from the County Crow song, but Mr. Jones was a former college baseball player, right? And he was a stoic man, a little intimidating, and he would, his, his son was our main pitcher, right? Classic, right? Coach's kid. Uh, but he would, Coach Jones would stand at the uh, entrance of the dugout and he would yell this phrase over and over again to his son. He would say, throw strikes, Travis. And as a kid, I would be like, that's kind of insulting because what do you think he's trying to do out there, coach? And I'm sure Travis in the mouth was like, yeah, dad, I know. Like, that's what we're here for, right? But there's also something refreshingly simple about that statement. Throw strikes, Travis. Because in baseball, that's, you gotta throw strikes. That's like, that's the point, right? You gotta get people out. You gotta throw strikes. So where am I going here, right? Okay. I think, I propose that there are some things in life that no matter how simple they are, we never graduate from, right? In baseball, like, still, major league pitchers still have to throw strikes. Now, as you progress from a second grader who can't throw strikes to someone who can, and onto the major leagues, it becomes more thrilling and exciting, right? Like new levels are opened up to you. So that we never graduate from. So for us Christians, we Christians never graduate from knowing God. It just becomes deeper and more exciting and thrilling for us. Now, I'm gonna read some statements for us, okay? So I want you guys to soak these in a little bit. This is from a book, a spiritual classic called Knowing God by J.I. Packer. No, that's not my pen name. It's a real guy. It's a real good book. You should check it out. Um, but here we go. I'm going to read these. Uh, let them wash over you, if you will. Uh, what were we made for? To know God. What aim should we set ourselves in life? To know God. What is the eternal life that Jesus gives? Knowledge of God. John 17, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. What is the best thing in life? 
bringing more joy, delight, and contentment than anything else? Knowledge of God. Jeremiah 9. This is what the Lord says, Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me. What of all the states God ever sees man in gives God the most pleasure? Knowledge of himself. Hosea 6. I desire the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings, says the Lord. So some of you today might be a little underwhelmed by what I just read. Right? You're like, man, John, I thought I was going to learn something new in formation this year. Thanks a lot. Well, here's what J.I. Packer says immediately after what he just wrote. You ready? Here we go. He says, in these few sentences, we have said a very great deal. In these few sentences, we have said a very great deal. Our point is one to which every Christian heart will warm, though the person whose religion is merely formal will not be moved by it. And by this very fact, his unregenerate state may be known. I'll read that again. It says, in these few sentences, we have said a very great deal. And our point is one to which every Christian heart will warm, though the person whose religion is merely formal will not be moved by it. Some hard words. Let's break the tension with Jesus. Why don't we? Bible. Uh, we're reading from Matthew 7, Sermon on the Mount. Some of the closing words Jesus has for us. This is, this is the Lord speaking. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name? Cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name. And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. Damn. What the heck, Jesus? Like, you do know. He said you didn't know. You do know them. Like, you made them because you're God. So what's going on here, Lord? Like, what, what, what's he getting at? So, it's a few things. I want to highlight for us. So this is at the end of all of his teaching, right? He's trying to get a point across. And one, the first point's pretty easy. It's we can easily be deceived in thinking that we know God. Because these people clearly thought they knew God because they did really cool things. Like, bigger things than I've been doing probably. But they didn't know him when it was all said and done. There's another thing Jesus is trying to get at here. He's saying that we come to know him we come to know Jesus through obedience to his word. It says, doing the will of the Father, right? We come to know Jesus through obedience to his So knowledge and obedience are linked somehow mysteriously in this. And there's this hidden power he's trying to orient us to, okay? So Jesus wants us to realize that obedience is the key. So think about this. Um, you, you get a meeting with like Tim Cook. Or let's say like John Paul II or like Mother Teresa. One of your personal heroes, okay? Someone of great renown. You get an hour of their time. They invite you in. You sit down, cross from each other. What happens next? Well, you start talking about your test you had last week and how hard it was and how it was like, was unfair because teachers didn't like have the right notes and maybe your roommate is really annoying and then you know, you're talking about like your great idea for their company or, you know, Mother Teresa, you guys should really invest in marketing. I don't know if enough people know about this. Interesting, this marketing scheme would really blow the doors open on this order. And you just chat away. No, that's not what you would do. 
you'd probably sit down, shut up, and listen. Maybe ask a couple questions, and then just soak it in. But oftentimes, I know in my life, uh, you know, as the saying goes, you got two ears, one mouth. I'm supposed to like listen twice as much as you speak, and my prayer life can sometimes be like five ears, or five mouths in one ear, right? My five to one ratio of me talking and listening. But what we're saying here is that Jesus is saying there's something mysterious about knowledge of him and obedience to his word and doing what he says, which requires that we sometimes shut up and listen. But what do you have here? What are you saying? So in a very real way, we grow in our knowledge of God as we listen and obey him, right? So more on that to come. So here's the thing. You can't love what you don't know, right? You've all heard that before. You can't love what you don't know. Like, hey, John, do you love Hawaiian summers? I'd be like, no, I've never experienced one. I have no idea if I would or not. Might be really humid and horrible, right? So we, but us Americans, right, we, we're really good at knowing things, right? Some of you are sitting in your living room right now and you're in 17th grade. It's a lot of knowledge. Congratulations, pat yourself on the back for me. Thanks. Uh, but what we're talking about today, knowledge of God, it's not just knowledge about facts about God, right? It's not just knowing like God, like I know B-17s, which I do know a lot of about B-17s, if you know what those are. Um, weird childhood um, interest. So, but here's, here's a good concept, here's a good illustration for us, okay? So Spanish, of which I took 12 years of and know very little, uh, they have two different words for knowing. In English, we got one, it's like no, right? Um, there's different types of knowing in Spanish, particularly it's that, it's saber and conocer, right? Saber, knowledge, is more about like things. Like I know that trees are green. Yo saber, the arbols es verde. There we go, 12 years. Um, and then there's conocer, which is more about people, more about like intimate things, right? Not just like concepts or like facts or truths, but like more knowledge of someone, of what makes that person tick, of who that person is, who they are as a person, right? So we can saber God pretty good in America. We can sit down and listen to great formation talks given by speakers, um, or, and we can just kind of, you know, soak it in, do, hear some good stuff, and then go about our life. And that just kind of gives us severe knowledge, but to have conocer knowledge of God, we actually have to listen and then do. So here's a great, here's a great story. Um, I heard this quite a few years ago, but there's this big conference, right? A lot of uh, church leaders, and this African bishop gets up there and he's giving this, he's just testifying the powerful ways God's working in Africa, okay? Like, crazy healings happening, like missionaries going to villages and entire villages being converted, millions of conversions actually, these like thriving liturgies and this life is just exploding over there in the church. And he testifies and he's done, he opens up for questions and this church leader raises his hand, he's like, hi, yes, Bishop, um, Your Excellency, incredible talk, in fact, almost hard to believe. Uh, wondering and curious why you think all that's happening in Africa and we're just not seeing that in the States. And this African bishop, in his wisdom, he says, well, see, you Americans, you study God and you get smarter, but we Africans, we worship God and we get changed. Whew. I love that. Because it points to something essential to the Christian life, which is worship, right? First and foremost, in the liturgy, right? Engaging that and experiencing that and receiving the body, blood, and Jesus in his true presence. But then worship in our daily life. 
Worship in our personal prayer. Worship in our household morning prayer. How do we engage that? Are we allowing God to change our hearts? We have a vision for God to change our hearts in those moments when we're not feeling it. Prayer meetings, right? Are we approaching God knowing that his Holy Spirit wants to encounter us and change us here and there, right there in that moment, right? So the Catechism says, Worship of the one true God sets man free from turning in on himself, from the idolatry of the world, and the slavery of sin. Worship of the one true God sets man free from turning in on himself, from the idolatry of the word world, and the slavery of sin. It's a pretty good package right there. Pretty good deal. Worship is essential to Christian life because as we worship generously, we start to live generously. And even as we live generously with the Lord and with others, our worship is elevated as well. It's synced. Our worship and our worship starts to become how we live. And our life becomes an act of worship and praise to God as we lay down our life, fill with his spirit, and pouring out for all those around us. It's a pretty good deal. All right. This is great. Hard to And you get some water. I've gotten this far and I haven't mentioned what the course is this semester. Maybe you're like on the edge of your seat. Maybe you're just like vibing somewhere in summer in Hawaii. I don't know. But here we go. You want to know what the course is this semester? Of course you do. Um, the course title is A Greater Promise. A Greater Promise. A Greater Promise. Here is our thesis statement. Ready for this? Without a greater promise for our lives, we will retreat into preservation mode for our lives. Without a greater promise for our lives, we will retreat into preservation mode for our lives. Right? And the preservation mode is clearly not what we're going for because Jesus pretty explicitly says, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. That's, that's Luke 17 right there. So what is this greater promise that we're called to center our lives around? Right? We can sit here till the cows come home and list off all the promises of the Bible, but who has time for that right now? We don't. we got to keep moving. But what we are going to talk about is the ultimate promise, really the capital P promise, and that is Jesus himself, God incarnate. Jesus Christ, Redeemer, Savior, God. Jesus is the promise. And this God who existed before all things, spoke it all into being, was the word through which all things were created and hold together, the rationale, logos of the entire universe, became a man, lived a sinless life, died at the hand of sinners, was raised showed himself in his resurrection, resurrected form to his disciples and 500 other people, lucky them, right? And then ascended, and now at the right hand of the Father. And somewhere Jesus' body is, anyways, that's another thing. But Jesus, this God, wants a relationship with us. This relationship is calculated to thrill the human heart, right? This isn't just like a casual, like, buddy or like mentor, this is the God of the universe who wants an intimate relationship with us. Ever widening horizons, ever deeper to the meaning of life, right? To discover who we actually are and who he is more importantly, right? So maybe this isn't resonating with you. Maybe you're just like, great, John, okay. Yeah, I've heard this stuff, youth group, you know, first year, congratulations. But what I wanna to say to us today is, um, yeah, maybe there's some doubt here because you tried it and didn't stick. Maybe you like sent it one time and like really went for it and God just didn't really measure up to like you thought it would happen. Maybe you're afraid you have to give something up that you don't really think you want to give up. Um, maybe you're afraid you don't really want to come across as that Jesus freak person, right? Whatever, whatever it is right now that's maybe gnawing at you, I just ask you to stay with me. A little bit longer, okay? So here's a question for you to kind of get us out of that mode. What do you want in life? What do you want in life? 
Now I ask this question myself and I made it list quite easily, right? Okay, here we go. Here's some, here's some generic answers I think we could probably, most of us would share. Uh, good job with some upward mobility, okay? You know, good wife slash husband, wife in my case. Uh, a few kids, nice house, maybe house being big enough to have some friends over, do some hosting, um, some good times, memories, good friends, right? People to share the journey with and to, to, to accompany. Um, probably some cause to live out, you know, to give myself to that is noble and improves the lives of others. And then, you know, a peaceful death. And then a lot of people in my funeral so I can know that, like, you know, I had a, had a, had a good life. Okay. Well, let's, let's look, what did, what did Jesus' life look like? The job? Well, he was an itinerant preacher. I don't know if that counts. Definitely didn't get a paycheck. Uh, married? No, not married. Kids? No kids. Uh, house? No, he actually said he didn't even have anywhere to lay his head. Okay. Some good times? Yeah, certainly some good times, memories. Uh, friends? Yeah, good friends, except the fact that they, like, ditched him in his hour of need. That wasn't good. Um, the cause? Yeah, the cause didn't look so good when it was all on the cross, right? It kind of looked like it was it was over because the people that were following him that were going to carry it on, pieced out, and there's a leader dying. Um, and then, you know, big funeral? No, it was like basically John, Mary, and some friends. Not, not many. Uh, but, so that's, that's the, there's a juxtaposition here, right? This should, this should challenge us. So here's the catch. Jesus is the Lord of the universe. Jesus is the true man. He's the author of life. Jesus was the most alive human being to ever walk the earth, right? Fully God, fully man. Jesus was the most alive ever. His heart was thrilled with his relationship with the Father. Jesus said, I have food to eat of that which you do not know. Jesus was living the good life. The life, like capital L life, right? And that was, that's what his life looked like. So this should challenge us a little bit, right? Because that's so what I'm not saying, really quick. I'm not saying to like drop out of college, right? And, and do all, and follow Jesus, not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is maybe we should check if we're listening more to the American promise than to Jesus' promises. Do we trust more in the good, like the life I described first to make it, to get us there? To give us what we want? Or do we trust that Jesus has the answer for us? Do we sell all for the kingdom? Or do we sell all for our kingdom? Like, where, which, which, where, which one do we believe? Which one, okay, which one do we believe? Great. Which one do you put in action? Which one are we actually moving towards? The American promise or Jesus' promises? Because again, without a greater promise, we're just going to retreat into preservation mode. So what is this greater promise is Jesus himself. So if this relationship, if this is not being actively invested in and growing, then we're just going to go back into preservation mode. No one wants that. It's lame. So, here we go. Here's a bold claim for us all, myself included. A Jesus-centered life probably looks different than we're currently envisioning. A Jesus-shaped life looks different than we're probably currently envisioning. And brothers and sisters, this is good news. It means we haven't arrived. It means we haven't gotten our like Jesus checkbox, did it all merit badge, our Jesus Eagle Scout, if you will. We got way more to go. We have so much more to go. And that's good news for us because the Lord has a vision for our life. The Father has a vision for your life. And it's way bigger than we could ever imagine. So where are we going this semester? Okay, I'm going to outline a couple things here. Greater promise. Like, where are we going? Um, one, we are running towards knowledge of the Lord. 
through listening to his word. Right? Word. God's word. Like, actual. Here it is. We are growing, we are running towards knowledge of the Lord through listening to his word. And then actually believing and doing what he says. Right? Because, you see, like, these words here, these words are alive. These words aren't just, like, nice thoughts and, like, good things to live by and, like, you know, positive thinking will get me through. These are, like, the words of God, the power by the Holy Spirit, to cut through our hearts, to cut through the noise, to cut through our self-deception, and to show us what life is. Like, the guy who invented this whole thing is speaking to us. He has truth for us. And this truth changes our life. It actually changes everything. And we can allow it to do that. We can allow it to open up new horizons, new knowledge. And when we read God's word and listen to it, and then do what it says, our knowledge of him grows. In a mysterious way, in an unknown way, our knowledge of him grows. When we listen and we obey. Right? And again, this is like, okay, John, I've been to youth group, I get this. But this is like the throw strikes analogy in the beginning. We never graduate from this. And what I'm talking about is different than just saying throw strikes to an 8-year-old. So I'm saying throw strikes to some 21-year-olds. Right? I'm saying no God to you as a 21-year-old now. So that looks different than when you were 16. You have different freedoms, you have different ability, you control your time more. What does that mean to you now? It's different. It's not the same thing. I'm saying throw strikes, but it's like in a new context. It's way more elevated. It's the same throw strikes to, you know, 8-year-old John or like throw, throw strikes to... I don't know, Shane Bieber, right? So, go Indians. You're welcome, Natowski. Um, two, where are we going this semester? We're going towards faith that amazes Jesus. Okay? Matthew 8. So this is right after the Sermon on the Mount, right? We just read sermon, the end of Sermon on the Mount. And uh, this is some, some stories about, this is, this is a story about faith that amazes Jesus, which happens only, I think only twice in Scripture. This is one of the times. You ready for this? He says, As Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, begging him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home in terrible distress. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion answered him, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Jesus was amazed. He was marveled at this man's faith. Why? Well, because this man took Jesus at his word. Right? He actually believed that Jesus was who he said he was, and then he acted on it. And he stood firm in that promise. He took a risk, honestly. He's not even a Jew. So one, he's taking a risk going up to Jesus. The fact that like, Jews didn't really talk to Roman centurions. So he took a risk going up to him. And he was like, hey, can you help me? Which is another risk. Like, why would a Jew help this man? But this man believes that this is guy's bigger than who the Jews think he is. He might actually be God. So he asked him, like, hey, like, can you help me? And Jesus is like, yeah, of course. Um, what do you need? He's like, heal my servant. Okay, I'll come see him. He's like, well, actually, like, I believe that you aren't just like, you know, going to help me here, but I believe that you can just like say it because you have real authority that your word has power. Because my word has power in a very temporal sense, but yours has one in a spiritual sense. So I think you can do this by just saying it right here and now. That blew Jesus' mind. That amazed God. And that's the kind of faith we can have, brothers and sisters, if we take Jesus at His word, right? So for us here and now, 
What is God saying to you right now? He's just asking you to take him at his word. What are we struggling with or wrestling with or holding on to? Like, God, I don't know if I should, or maybe, kind of, maybe, I don't know. Again, I'm not saying you should drop out of college and do everything because, again, like the larger the life change, the more you should submit that to older and wiser brothers and sisters to confirm it. But maybe there is something today that God's been asking you to do that you're just wrestling with. He's just saying, hey, take me at my word. I got your back here. So where are we going this semester? We're, beco- we're going towards becoming true disciples. That's our third point. We're going towards becoming true disciples. Luke 5. You ready for this? This is the call of Peter. We've heard this before, but I want to highlight one thing for us. So while the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gisenra. Right? So we're at a lake. And he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little bit from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had ceased speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they, they enclosed a great shoal of fish. And as their nets were breaking, they beckoned to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he was astonished at all and all that were with him at the catch of fish which they had taken. This is great. This is a good scene. This is a great scene. So Jesus is talking. Um, Peter's cleaning his nets after fishing all night. Peter, the professional fisherman, he knows what he's doing. Pretty discouraged. Maybe he's there by happenstance. Maybe he's there on purpose. I don't know. But he's kind of like on the side, right? Like Jesus isn't like, there's a crowd and then there's like guys fishing. And Jesus like goes up to him and maybe interrupts him. Maybe he's like just wants to get home because he's been up all night. He's probably tired, right? And he's like, hey, uh, can I get in your boat? He's like, sure. He's like, hey, can you put out a little bit? He's like, fine. He's like, hey, let's go fishing again. He's like, everything inside him is probably like, why? Like, I'm the fisherman. You're like the itinerant preacher, rabbi, maybe prophet guy. I think I know this lake like the back of my hand. What are you doing? But he caught himself. Right? All the excuses, all like the reason. He's like, okay, at your command, I'll let down my nets. At your word, I'll let down my nets. And that is what true disciples say. Well, it doesn't make sense. I don't understand, but Lord, at your word, I'll do it. I'm going to take you at your word here, God, and I'm going to do it. And what happened? Well, in this instance, Peter's entire life has changed. He went from being a fisherman to a fisher of men, right? His whole new trajectory opened up before him. A whole new adventure, a whole new life. God broke through to him in that moment. He was just Peter the fisherman before, and then he became always Simon, and then he became Peter, the rock on which the church was built. By saying, Lord, it doesn't make any sense, but sure, I'll, I'll do it here. And his entire life changed. So for us, we're going to grow in being real disciples. We say, Lord, Lord, at your word, I'll let down my nets. So again, this semester, we're going to take Jesus at his word. We're going to do what he says. We're going to believe he is faithful. And we're going to hold out for him to show up. So literally, again, we have his word, right? His word. And here's my challenge to us, right? Here's my challenge to us this semester. Is if you've never read, excuse me, if you've never read Matthew from like chapter to chapter, like, like a book, I encourage you to do that here. Maybe you've done it before. Do it again. But read a chapter of Matthew a day. And then sit with the Lord and say, Lord, what are you saying here? What do you have here? 
allow them to speak, and then go do it. Maybe like you're reading about the genealogy in chapter one, you're like, man, this is random. You're like, what are you saying here? And he's like, hey, go forgive this person. You're like, what, them? No, he's like, okay. But that could be it. That could be what he says that day, right? That, that, that thing pops into our head. And our first reaction could be like, Ugh! then maybe that's what the Lord's called us to do that day. So let's just do it, right? When in doubt, obey. Say, Lord, let's, let's go for it. Because when we, again, when we obey, there's something linked with the knowledge. We begin to know him more, right? We begin to know who he is and what he's about and how he operates in our life. So that's my challenge for us. Allow him to speak to you through the gospel, reading one chapter a day, sitting with it, and asking, Lord, what are you saying here? And don't speed through it if you can, if you have the time. So the truth is the Lord has been speaking to us, us as a people, right? He's been speaking to us. And over the past few years, he's been equipping us for a new season of mission. Like right around the end of flame, the Lord started speaking really clearly like, hey, now's the time. I got something for you. He even had a word for us about how there's um, hidden evangelists on campus. And these evangelists have, the Lord has, um, they have 100,000 souls harvest, right? These hidden evangelists are on campus. The Lord is asking us, like, hey, I promise to you, like, go for it. Get out there. They're there for you, right? And the Lord's been speaking to us too. He says, the Lord promises that dry bones will come to life if we preach the truth to those who are searching. The Lord has promised to us that he is a promise keeper, not just a promise maker. Like we can actually remember the promises he's said to us and not just always ask for new promises, you know, like a greedy little kid. We say, God, you promised this and we're going to wait for it to happen. We're going to go for it. We're going to act like you actually, when you said this, you meant it. So we're going to live like that, right? The Lord promised to make us bright lights so that others could be drawn to us, to our community. The Lord has told us that he is our only answer, our only rest, our only rescue. Jesus has told us that he is the God of the living, not the God of the dead. That he is constantly speaking new life to us, calling us out of ourselves, giving us new life, calling us deeper into himself. Uh, at Formation Kickoff, Kelly had an incredible word for us. The Lord spoke about the banquet feast that he has prepared for us, right? And this glorious vision of this new life here and in glory, in eternity, forever, right? This banquet. And the powerful truth that anything we need to leave behind here and now isn't even comparable to the riches and the glory that he has for us again here and then for eternity. So what are we waiting for? Brothers and sisters, now is the time for us to leave the boats on the shore and say, Lord, it doesn't make sense, but let's go for it. Let's send it. What do we have to lose, right? Like to declare as one body that God is faithful, that when he says something, he means it. He's going to do it. And we can stand on his word and encourage one another and take faith and stand strong and watch God's power come to life in our lives in a whole new way, in our lives and in the lives of people around us and on campus. Transformation. So we as a people, we can step into this. This is our destiny. This is, this is our year, a greater promise. And again, this course for us is not just talking about right now, but we're going to give a, a vision for what it looks like for the rest of your life. What does it look like to live a greater promise as in your mid-20s, late-20s, 30s, and beyond. So, are we still afraid? Maybe. But this is, uh, if we are still afraid, here is what the Lord says to us. He says, what then shall we say to this? If God is for us, who is against us? 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also give us all things with him? I'll repeat that. That's so good. What then shall we say to this? If God is for us, who is against us? If God is for us, who's against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also give us all things with him? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. It is Jesus Christ who died, yes, who was raised from the dead, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, or quarantine, or whatever regulations we have? No. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let it be so with us.